If, if I were to overfeed on anything, it would be protein. You're listening to The Tactical Kitchen. I'm Melody Behrens, certified chef and nutritional therapy practitioner. And I'm Steve Behrens, 21-year special operations veteran and certified personal trainer. Together, we are here to share our experience on the ketogenic lifestyle. Don't forget our disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We're not doctors, and we don't play them on the internet. Now, let's get ready to chew the fat. Mmm, bacon. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Tactical Kitchen Show, and today you're listening to episode 11. We are going to be talking to Dr. Ryan Lowry, author of the Ketogenic Bible and president of ASPE, Applied Science and Performance Institute in Tampa, Florida. You may have heard of this place. It's pretty freaking awesome. They do a lot of really cutting edge research and delve into a lot of things that we find interesting. Not only do they study performance in athletes, but they also are doing some very interesting studies on Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, traumatic brain injury, a lot of things that some of you guys might be very interested to know. In this conversation, we're going to cover all those topics as well as how Ryan got started in the ketogenic diet and why personally it's important for him. Absolutely. And you're going to want to know why I just want to hug Ryan's mom. Like, she must be an amazing human being because she produced an amazing human being. He's one of my favorite ketogenic people, and you'll find out why when you hear this podcast. All right, now let's get on to the conversation. Well, hey, Ryan, welcome to the Tactical Kitchen. Hey, guys, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be on here. We're very excited to have Ryan Lowry on today. He's a expert in the uh, ketogenic field. We've uh, talked to him quite a bit before, and we're excited to dive down into some topics that we're, we've kind of been going over in the past few episodes. Yeah, I think, you know, the first time we met you, Ryan, was at one of the low-carb conferences. And I will say, I want to say this just about you personally, that you're one of the most positive and kind people in the ketogenic community, and probably one of my favorite keto peeps. Oh, I'll just say that. <laughs> thank you. That means the world to me. Thank you. Well, no, the first impression you get of Ryan is, is he old enough to be here? <laughs> you know, I did think that too. Do you get that a lot, Ryan? I do. I do. A lot of people always ask and I'm like, yeah, I'm just finished doctorate. I just finished my schooling. Like it's all, it's all good. So well, you're done with your doctorate now? Yeah, I actually just finished. Oh, you've got that Dr. Ryan Lowry then. Yes, yes. Oh, congratulations. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. That is exciting. Well, it's a good thing that everybody thinks you're too young to be doing what you're doing. So just ride that wave as long as you can. It's it's the ketogenic diet. I tell them, I say, hey, it's the way I eat. (laughs) (laughs) That's so perfect. So, you know, you have a really interesting background. Um, I know you played sports growing up. Can you just like let our listeners know a little bit about yourself, where you're from? your background, what you've done to get you to this place? Absolutely. So I grew up in a very small town, a town called Butler in New Jersey. And it's kind of like that little Friday night lights feel where like the only thing you do on for everything shuts down on Friday and you play football. Like that's the only thing. So I grew up in a very sports centric 
high school. Um, and then I always knew I wanted to go into something that involved sports that involved helping people. Like I knew that very early on. I didn't know exactly what it was. I thought it would be physical therapy originally, but that soon changed. And that really changed uh, about when I was in high school, uh, just out of nowhere, we got a call that my grandmother was in the hospital and she was, she was overweight. And like within a day of her being in the hospital, like she just passed away. She was in her early sixties. And for me, that was kind of this eye-opening moment for me, just looking around being like, wait a minute, I'm going to grow up and like, I'm going to have kids one day and they're not going to be able to, to meet this amazing woman that I've learned so much from. And it kind of just took a, a big toll on me. And then the real big step was when I read her autopsy report, literally the only thing it said was she was an obese woman lethargic that had diabetes. And at that point I realized, I'm like, this woman who's absolutely amazing, our system failed her. Like it failed her from a perspective of she had diabetes, all they did was pump her with insulin, um, and, and never said, Hey, this is what, this is all an alternative way of eating. Like she's Italian. So it was like, Hey, eat, eat a little bit more pot or eat a, just eat a little bit less <laughs> pasta. No, don't eat all of it. And so I was like, yeah, like, I realized at that point I could either sit on the sideline and complain about what was going on, or I could actually be the change. And so I went to the university of Tampa. That's where I met Jacob, uh, Dr. Jacob Wilson. And we just, we just clicked very early on. And from that point forward, we started doing research on nutrition, exercise, supplementation. And it wasn't until we were at a conference and we met Dr. Jeff Volick, uh, who I'm sure you guys know, and, and Dr. Dom D'Augustino. And Dr. Volick was giving a presentation on his work in endurance athletes. And at the end of his presentation, someone stood up and said, but Dr. Volek, what research is there on resistance trained athletes? And he said, quite honestly, we don't have any. And this is going back to 2012. And at that moment, Jacob and I said, you know what? Like, this is, this is the realm that we're going to start studying. Like, we work a lot with resistance trained athletes. We want to study this. And that's kind of where my first introduction to, to keto started nearly a little over six years ago. And ever since it has been amazing. Now, when did you start personally uh, practicing a ketogenic diet? Because I know you're an athlete, so, you know, you were all into performance. You did football and baseball, played baseball, you know, down there in Tampa. When did you start really uh, getting deep practicing the diet? Oh, great question. So it was about six years ago. Uh, it was after that talk by Dr. Volek. I mean, I've dabbled into the low-carb low carb world before, but not necessarily keto. Um, which is very counterintuitive to what I did as an athlete because I played baseball in college and I was the guy in college that my coach was like, dude, you need to put on weight. So I was slugging down these weight gainer shakes that had like 200 grams of maltodextrin in them like twice a day. Like I was eating a ridiculous amount of carbohydrates, but I was so active that it was very difficult for me to like put on, put on weight. And as soon as I stopped playing sports, that changed very rapidly. I gained like 25 pounds the first summer after I stopped playing sports. And I was like, whoa, let me, let me taper back these carbohydrates a little bit. <laughs> right. <laughs> the first time I did keto, I did it completely wrong, like butchered it as wrong as you could do it because I have a sweet tooth. And so what I did for, th for four meals a day, the only thing I ate was what we, 
Jacob and I made what's called keto mousse. It was like heavy cream, protein powder, uh, dark, dark cocoa, and um, a little bit of coconut oil in it. And I literally would like mix it up, put it in the fridge. And it was like this amazing keto mousse. But like, it was just, it wasn't, I, I was missing out on like micronutrients. <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> Where was your, I learned. So you did, you, that was four meals a day? Yes. Pretty it. much. Okay. Uh, for some people that's like the dream, but yeah, you could probably quickly get tired of that after a little while. I don't know, because I've noticed that you and, uh, Dr. Wilson both have quite the sweet tooth because all your recipes that you put up are always a dessert. Yeah, always, always, always. Well, how did that make you feel when you were doing what you thought was keto? Did you feel, feel, you know, bad? It was brutal. It was horrible. I was like, dude, this, this thing is the worst thing I've ever done in my life. Um, (laughs) I I was missing, I was, I didn't have enough sodium didn't have enough potassium. I was missing vitamins and minerals that you get with like meat and eggs and, and some of these other things that you need to yeah. incorporate. And I was training like ridiculously hard at the time. And I was like, what's going on? Like uh, my body was adapting and I didn't have the right nutrients to provide it. So when you, when you started figuring out, wow, I'm doing this really wrong, something's wrong. Where did you go to start looking for that information to see how do I do this? The, in a way that I'm going to feel good? You know, a lot of it was just uh, trial and error. Uh, I was like, you know what? Rather than trying to, that lasted for like a week. And then I was like, you know what? I, I like eggs. I love meat. Like I can go to a Brazilian steakhouse and do some damage there. So I was like, all right, let me, let me try and figure, figure this out. And I was started looking at people online who are doing a ketogenic diet. And back in 2012, it wasn't anywhere near as popular as it is now. There wasn't 8 million cookbooks and all these different things that were going on. And I was like, geez, I got to figure this out. And so I started doing eggs in the morning and bacon and doing some cob salads and complete shift felt incredible. And that's when I knew, all right, I, I start, I'm starting to figure this thing out. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that your grandmother was Italian and first of all, I, I can relate with these family stories because I think you may or may not remember me talking to you and Dr. Wilson about my father with Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. And I know y'all have done research and we'll, we'll talk about that stuff in a moment, but with the family who is Italian, have you found that that to be difficult to maybe share this information with your family? It definitely, it's hard. It's hard to make the shift. Uh, Like it's actually amazing because my mom, who's the most incredible person in the world, she has Crohn's. Um, and so it took me a while to get her. She's actually on a ketogenic diet right now. She loves it. Um, awesome. she, she craves some things here and there. She can crave like a, a little sandwich once in a while, but she gets past it. But for her and for a lot of my family, when I've tried to talk to them about it, one of the things that I always try and tell people is don't look at what you can't have. Look at everything that you can have. And there's always an alternative. Like there are ketogenic breads. Like there are ways to make low carb breads. Like don't look at it as a restriction. Look at it as a lifestyle. Look at all these different possibilities you have. You just got to get creative with it. Absolutely. That's great advice for people who might be listening to this and struggling with maybe getting their family on board. And um, it's hard when you're in a family situation and one person is eating one way 
And especially if you're the cook and you have to feed everyone else something different. So sharing that and letting people know they can have alternatives. Like this last week, we've been doing that carnivore style diet for a while now. And we missed out on having our Friday night pizza. And so we just, you know, I got a little creative. I'm sure I'm not the first person to ever do it, but put the bacon in the cast iron skillet and use that as the crust, cracked eggs all on top. And it looks like pizza. It gets crispy on the bottom. You can slice it up like pizza and it's fantastic. Mm. So there's always an alternative. So that's awesome. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. And, um, So in all of this transition, and you talked about how you met Dr. Wilson, Dr. Jacob Wilson in college, now we we look at what you guys are doing now, and you have the most incredible facility here at ASPI, and we haven't had the chance to come down and see it for ourselves, but we see the pictures. Can you just talk about that history, how that came to be and what you guys are currently working on? Definitely. And, and thank you so much. Uh, well, Aspie's always been a dream of what Jacob and I, when we first met, we want to make an impact globally. Like that's, that's always been our thing. And in academia, the one thing is you can do a lot of research. We've done a lot of research in academia. We've published over like 150 papers and abstracts and things in academia. But the one thing that we realized very early on is when we were at uh, University of Tampa, you have four walls and a ceiling, and it's very difficult to push outside of that boundary. And we really had to make a, a, a decision and go, if we really want to impact people on a global level, we need to do this on our own. Um, And so we stepped out of academics and created the Applied Science and Performance Institute to do just that. And currently we have 22,000 square feet um, where we combine research with testing and training and all the high level high tech equipment. And we're already running out of space. So like in academics, we had 3000 square feet. Then we went to 22,000. But we're already trying to expand because there's so much possibility to institute effective changes into people's lives. And and we're really trying to stay on the brink and cutting edge of that. So when we're talking about that 22,000 square feet, I know, you know, when I've seen pictures, you have some of the most incredible systems to be able to look at the human body where it is either working properly or where someone, especially an athlete, is deficient in certain areas. Some of that equipment is so high tech. It's, it's mind blowing. Well, especially when you talk about I, I've seen it where you guys have done muscle biopsies before and after exercise with, you know, a, a carb athlete and a keto athlete just to see what is happening inside. And I think that is that's cutting edge right there. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, our goal is to be able to look at the cellular and whole body level and say, if we need to determine what's going on, it's, it's kind of like our, our bodies are like a car. We need to be able to open up the lid or the, and, and basically be able to look in and go, Hey, what's going, what's going on in there? What's going on? How do we see how it's working and how can we make it more efficient? Because even though you think you're doing well, if we look underneath the hood and we can go in and go, well, there's ways that we can tweak this, 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 and this, and you're going to, that might help you another two, three, five, ten 10 years to be better. And with athletes, which 
we keep saying athletes because I know that's primarily what you work with, what you guys work with are the athletes and injury prevention and things like that. What do you see with a ketogenic diet in relation to those injury preventions? Like you said, let them go another five, 10, maybe 15 years. That can increase someone's longevity in their sport. Yes. And you know, yes, a hundred percent. And for professional athletes, one year can make the world of a difference one year. And I like to look at, I honestly call everyone athletes because in some capacity, you have people that we're, we're, we're like in our daily lives, we're working, we're doing things. You have your weekend warrior athletes that go and compete, but then you have your professional athletes. And we work with some of the top tier professional athletes in the world, but we also work with like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's patients and they still have to perform to some level. And like your grandfather or your grandmother, like in some level, performance for them might be getting up off the couch and going for a five minute walk. Whereas this professional athlete that we work with, like the Tampa Bay Lightning, who uh, hopefully are gonna make a good run at the Stanley Cup. Uh, hopefully uh, those guys, like the smallest, smallest degree of difference uh, for them can mean the difference between winning and losing. Right. You know, quite often you'll see, see studies and they'll say, you know, it's a, a 5% improvement or a, a 10% improvement. And, you know, the, the common lay person will be like, well, that's not very much. But like you said, at the professional athlete level, any edge you can get is an edge. And whether it's 5% or 2%, you know, that'll, that gets you from, like you said, you know, just being a normal athlete, a professional athlete to an elite professional athlete. A hundred percent. And if you look at like the Olympics, for instance, I always give this example in the Olympics. If you look at the difference between being on the podium and not being on the podium, it's less than a 1% degree difference. So for those guys, it's the difference between getting an actual medal for your country or just being in the list of names that somewhat competed. That's so true. Um, you mentioned in that, you also work with the Alzheimer's and Parkinson's patients, and that's always a topic that just goes straight to my heart. And when y'all were at the Low Carb USA and you presented your research with the Parkinson's patient, I stood in the back of the room and just tears rolled down my face because I found it so amazing. Um, because when my dad had Parkinson's, and like you with your grandmother, there was never a discussion about what the diet should be. We would go to the doctor and he would see the neurologist and they would check muscle and motor skill and all these different things. And, but no one ever talked about the diet. And I was always a little blown away by that. Not then because I didn't know to be, but now I look back and I am, I get very upset, angry, frustrated that that disconnect is there. So as you're dealing with these, these uh, people who are in the mix of these neurodegenerative diseases, what do you see the future maybe for doctors and professionals equating diet with some of these neurological diseases? Yeah, I, I, I'm 100% uh, in agreement with you on that. I think Here's the thing. I think as we start seeing a lot of these new upcoming doctors, these younger doctors start practicing more and more, they're starting to realize the importance of nutrition and that nutrition plays into a lot of these things. 
And uh, if you look at it, unfortunately, like old school, and I'm not, I, doctors are great. Don't get me wrong. Like medical doctors are great. But if you look at, like, I've gone to school with medical doctors and they get one semester of nutrition, one semester. So can you, there's no way they could be taught or stay up to date with the latest research. Like they're worrying about different infusions, stem cell therapies, like different things to worry about all these different things you have to deal with. They're not, they may not be up to date with the latest nutritional research for Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or cancer or some of these things. So I look at it as it's like, this is one of, I look at it as like, this is my responsibility is if I have the ability to gain this knowledge. It's one of the reasons why we put out the book was there's so much information. I want to be able to help deliver that. So that way you don't have to go through, dig through the research. Like if I have the time to be able to do that and that's my focus, I want to be able to help you as a practitioner, as a medical doctor, because you're doing things that ultimately people are going to listen to that can save and or not save someone's life. I feel like it's my moral duty to give you the best information possible to say, hey, here's the information. You do with it what you feel is the best decision. And for your patient, if you think it's the right thing, roll with it. If not, maybe we can dig into more research or and we could figure something out. So in that, can you just uh, maybe explain to our listeners what a ketogenic diet can do for someone on the uh, – when they have Parkinson's or Alzheimer's and what's happening there? Absolutely. So mainly any neurodegenerative disease, you're talking Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, traumatic brain injury, even oftentimes what happens in these individuals is their brain is resistant to utilizing glucose as a fuel. So over time, I mean, we're actually starting to refer to type to Alzheimer's as type three diabetes. So the brain it's kind of like um, it's kind of like beating on a wall. Like over time, imagine how many grams of carbohydrates and sugar we're consuming over the course of our lifetime. Well, we're trying to deliver, deliver, deliver. Eventually, our brains go, "Listen, I've had enough. Like there, I have enough glucose in here. I've pumped out enough insulin, and those receptors aren't taking in glucose as well as they did when we were a ten-year-old kid running around eating all Halloween candy." and and so your brain's like listen it's resistant to it so what what do we do in that case do we still try and force that in and do we still try and force that glucose or carbohydrates in or is there an alternative fuel source that our brain can utilize and if we don't provide that fuel source that's when we start seeing some of these complications with things like alzheimer's parkinson's traumatic brain injury where cells in our brain are starting to die off mainly because it's there's a lack of fuel. There's a lack of fuel for the brain and it's not getting it via carbohydrates and glucose. So put being on a ketogenic diet, you're providing a fuel source in ketones that can fuel the brain under these circumstances. And so essentially it's like the brain starves when there's the sugar, the glucose can't be taken into that cell and then there's no alternative fuel source or what I like to call, and I know, I know all of us do sitting here, it's the preferred fuel source, ketones. When that's not available, then it is, it is so mind-blowing that those cells just literally die. They starve. And it's preventable in that, in that case. You know, you look at it and essentially this is something we can prevent 
by just giving that preferred fuel to the brain, which I think is so amazing. Yeah. And whether that's with, you know, doing a ketogenic diet or supplementing with exogenous ketones, either one of those are going to be beneficial for providing that, that brain fuel. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the things is moving forward, kind of like you were talking about the medical practitioners before, is I look forward to the day when, one, we have more research on all these different areas, but two, when there starts becoming like standardized practices, like I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look forward to 10 years from now, like looking back on this podcast and being like, remember when we were talking about like creating standardized practices, but like this will be the case in 10 years, like when our ki- like kids are starting to play sports or even professional athletes dealing with traumatic brain injury. Like I promise you, there will be a protocol of like this person fast. We do high intensity interval training. We supplement with exogenous ketones. We get them on a ketogenic diet. Like after they're like, there's so much trauma going on and like there needs to be some type of protocol put into place. And even with Alzheimer's, even with Parkinson's and it really, we're starting to make our way there, which I'm super excited about. You know, I heard Rob Wolf say at last year's Low Carb San Diego, he was talking about traumatic brain injury and he, he was talking about his kids playing sports and that if they had a concussion, the first thing he would want to do is give them uh, exogenous ketones to help protect that, the brain, which I thought that was really interesting. Without a doubt. Without, I, I literally just talked with him at Paleo FX and he said the same thing. Um, I think it's, I think it's what we were just talking about again. When you have, when you experience traumatic brain injury, your brain temporarily becomes resistant to utilizing glucose. Yeah. What do we do? We take the, those athletes, whether they're young or old, uh, which is even scarier in young athletes where they're going to the sideline and they're chugging down bottles and bottles and bottles of Gatorade. Yeah, your brain can't take up and utilize that fuel source. So what? Are, it's ultimately it's starvation in the face of plenty, and mm-hmm. that's what we, we we you have plenty of fuel, but your brain's starving because it's it's not the fuel source that it can take up and utilize at that current time. Now, uh, recently you've done your own uh, personal experiment with the uh, the carnivore diet, yes. so it'd be cool to talk about that and see how how you felt on it. And since you have access to all this technology at uh, ASPI, what did you test? So, you know, when going into it, what do you think was going to happen and what actually happened? Yeah. So I was, I've been getting a lot of questions about it. Um, and so I was like, <laughs> I the, only way, the only way I can, I can really help people is if I do it myself. And uh, I was like, all right, let me, I did it during the entire month of February. And so I did pre and post testing on a bunch of different markers, blood and body composition, and, you know, I, it was quite interesting at first, the first couple of days for me were a little bit challenging um, because I'm used to volume. I, like I eat a big salad for lunch. I usually have big shakes like this. This is just like some MCTs and protein powder, like when I'm in meetings all day. And I'm used to things that have a lot of volume. But when you're eating purely like meat and eggs, you don't have as much volume for the calorie load. And that was a bit of a challenge for me. And so it took me about the first two weeks, I felt horrible. Uh, not only because I, was, I, was, I wasn't eating as much, but I also, and this was, this was, again, I messed up completely. I wasn't using enough sodium and I definitely wasn't incorporating enough potassium, which I totally didn't realize because I'm used to eating avocados. 
Um, and I get a lot of potassium through avocado. So I literally had to order like electrolytes that had a ton of sodium and like supplement extra potassium to go along with that. And, and it took me a little while, but after that, I started to, to kind of get into a groove of things. And, and then the second two weeks of the month, like I was completely fine. Um, and so I did before and after testing, I maintained muscle mass. I definitely lost body fat. My blood markers, like didn't see any increase in cholesterol or triglycerides. My testosterone went up slightly. Um, I literally, one of the things that I want to do, I did a U biome, but they lost my post results. Um, which is, I was like, no way. So, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I had my pre, but they, they lost my post results. Um, but as far as just like how I felt, the, like by the time I finished, I was never hungry. Like that's one of the things I noticed is like in the beginning, it took, it took me a little while, but it was a weird feeling of like, I had to like think about it. I was like, I should probably eat now. Like it, it was, it was very different from that regard. And I, I haven't done it since I, I ended it at the end of February, but mainly for me, because I'm on the go, I'm traveling so much. Yeah. I don't eat as much. So when I do eat, I try and do like a lot of volume with a lot of salad or like a big shake that's blended with some air in it. So it's, it's a lot, it's, it can fill me up for several hours. Um, but it was quite an interesting, interesting experiment. So we have to ask, because this is the question that always comes up. How was your digestion? Oh, see, very, very good question. Um, the, the first two weeks, like were a little challenging just because the electrolyte balance was definitely off. Um, but after that, I had, I didn't have any issues, uh, whatsoever with the, with, uh, digestion. Um, the, the whole fiber thing is a whole nother topic. I mean, I, that's a whole, whole nother area of like, do you need fiber? How much fiber do you need? Like one of the questions that I have is like, are, we all have different gut microbiomes. We all do. Some people eat like a little, because some people could eat a piece of broccoli and get bloated because of that. Um, my question would, would be, is that person's gut bacteria so messed up that they can't handle fiber? Like, should, like is carnivore the, the, the best thing for them as a, as a short-term fix? But ultimately, should we be tr trying to improve that person's gut microbiome so that they can tolerate? And I'm talking fiber from like, green leafy vegetables, not like fiber that's like inulin that's put into products and stuff like that. I'm talking about like, should our bodies really be able to handle fiber and carbo and like these fibrous carbohydrates if our gut microbiome is in a good state? I, that's a question that I'm like still trying to figure out. And, and that's a great question because we came to this whole experiment of our own with that question. Do we need fiber? We keep being told that we do, but we're not sure. So we'll try it for ourselves and see. And, you know, we had the little iffy digestion period ourselves. <laughs> We've talked about that on a previous podcast, but then everything just normalizes. And I've actually come back and added in, because I love avocado, you know, so I'll add in avocado and he does too. Um, we haven't really added in vegetables yet. And I'm a little, I'm a little nervous to do that now because I've really enjoyed never feeling bloated. Like there's 
my digestion improved so much on keto, but then when we did this, it went through a small transition period, but then it became like pristine. And now I'm not sure how quick I want to go back and test the vegetables, but I probably will because I can't stand to do anything for too long without testing something else. Yeah. Yeah. I had the same issue as you. My, my electrolytes got off balance there kind of in the middle of it. And I did add potassium, which, which helped. And just, I just had to focus on them a little more so I could get my balance back because I did lose a little, uh, little energy, uh, workouts were a little more difficult and it, it took me a, a few weeks really to figure out what my balance needed to be with electrolytes. But once I got it down, I didn't have any issue with, uh, you know, having an intense workout and feeling like I couldn't do it. Right. And that's actually a really good point. So the, the, like in, as far as the gym is concerned, like it was weird. The first two weeks I didn't have like a motivation to train. Like I would go into the gym and just like, just like, I got to do this. Um, but the one thing I noticed throughout the entire time, my strength was like at an all time high. Um, right. So like my, not like my intensity for like wanting to go in and crush a workout, but like, even if I was like, I felt tired, like I would go do bench and it was like, wow, like I'm pretty strong today. And that was like consistent. I felt like stronger doing it. And I don't know if that was like the bump in, in testosterone probably due to eating all of the, all of the meat. Um, but quite, quite an interesting finding. Yeah, it is. And so I noticed the same thing because, you know, we, I didn't lift weights until she was lifting more than I was. She could totally crush me. (laughs) Well, I've started doing more CrossFit style workouts at home. So a little more high intensity with a lot more weight, um, different than just going to the gym, obviously, and just doing your, you know, leg day, arms day, whatever. Um, but for me, I have noticed that like deadlifting, which was something that I usually would do. And I, I had to be really careful because I would pull from one side too much and I'd end up straining my back a little bit. But now I go out there and I was like, watch me. I was telling him, I said, watch me. I'm like lifting more than I've ever lifted. I got my, you know, my max, my one rep max. And it was like, for me, how much did I lift? It was like 175 pounds. It was 110 billion pounds. Well, for me, it was really good. So it was my one rep max. It's not anyone else's. It's just mine, right? So it was the strongest I had felt in probably ever. So that was great. And I watched. You could have done more easily. You just oh, I could have, but I was I was cautious. I didn't want to overdo it. You, you know, you didn't pull a Steve. You didn't try to lift all the weights and injure yourself so you can't work out for the next three weeks. <laughs> That's true. I don't know who does that. <laughs> Steve does. <laughs> so a lot, of, but a lot of people think that you won't be able to perform at a high intensity on keto, and then when you tell them carnivore, they're like, "Well, you're going to feel dead in the water," and I noticed like you, Ryan, that at first I would sometimes go outside because all of our gym stuff is outside and I would look at it and go, ah, I don't really want to do this today. But then once I started working out, I started feeling a lot more into it and better. And then my, my energy level would go up. And now that we, we went through a strict 90 days and now we've added in just a few things um, like avocado, but I go out there and I'm like, I feel ready to do this whole workout. I'm ready to go and then do more. 
which has been really interesting, eating primarily beef and eggs. That's delicious food, basically. Yeah. So uh, another thing we wanted to talk about was when you're doing this, and we know you train a lot and you're always pushing yourself, what kind of supplements do you depend on? Um, You know, I I recently started to kind of uh, increase my protein intake with some additional research that we heard uh, about, you know, keeping your protein levels high. And, and oftentimes you've probably heard this, that in the, in the keto world, there's a, a fear of protein. People will say, don't take in too much protein. You're going to get gluconeogenesis and, you know, it sounds like a disease. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. You're going to get the scurvy. Um, so I, you know, I, I recently started kind of to take my protein up just a little bit to see how it makes me feel. What do you do uh, as far as tweaking your supplements? Yeah, so this is actually a really, really interesting point. I was just at PaleoFX, uh, and they had a panel, and this was probably the biggest question um, about it. And Rob Wolf, a great friend, gave a phenomenal answer. But it's quite interesting to see the people who are experts, really, in the keto world disagree on this matter so much so. Mm-hmm. It's pretty passionate. They're pretty passionate about it. Very passionate. Like, especially there's a a lot of the female uh, experts on the panel were advocating more of like, you cannot go over 0.8 grams per kilogram um, of of body weight or else you're going to get knocked out of ketosis. And then you have like Rob Wolf and some of the guys from Keto Gains who have totally different experiences of, of bumping protein up. And what I've seen and what I've seen and what a lot of the research that you look at in the ketogenic dieting world is I get very cautious, especially with people who are active, limiting people to under 0.8 grams per kilogram. And one of the things I've found is people, there's two things that I think can be prevented by having protein higher than that. One, a lot of women who start a ketogenic diet Oftentimes when they're doing that and their electrolytes are off, but also when they're consuming a very restricted protein, is they'll start to see their hair fall out. And they, they blame it on the ketogenic diet. And in actuality, I tell them, I say, I think it's a protein deficiency. Like that's a common sign of protein deficiency. Um, you need to be getting in amino acids to do that. Absolutely. And the second thing is a lot of people get the keto rash. Um, some people experience keto rash. And I also think that that's primarily due to a deficiency in protein. And people who are working out and are exercising, you look at protein intake, especially when when, uh, talking about it in context of like a meal. And what a lot of people confuse is, yeah, you should, you probably don't need 200 grams of protein from protein shakes if you're on a ketogenic diet. Like by no means is that even probably warranted. But if you're eating a big steak with some butter on it, and that steak ends up being 50 grams of protein, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a huge spike in glucose. It's going to knock you out of keto. Like there's the fat's going to slow down the rate of absorption. Like, like you chewing and eating that meal over an hour is going to slow down the rate of absorption. Very different from if I were to fill this entire thing up with 50 grams of whey protein and drink it to very different response than if I'm eating it from whole foods. So I tend to be, be like you, Stephen, and err on the higher end um, and, and go not, not high, high, but I'm at least 1.2 to 1.5 grams per kilogram uh, of my body weight. Well, I think I'm, you know, I made a mistake in not having enough protein for a while. And we thought that once we did carnivore, that experiment that we would possibly get too much protein and be kicked out of ketosis. But what we found was 
our ketone levels actually went up. Yeah. Yeah. And when we spoke to Dr. Benjamin Bickman, he, you know, if you've seen his presentation from low carb Breckenridge, he get, he makes a great point. It's to make ketones, you need protein, fat, and carnitine. Mm-hmm. And carnitine comes from red meat, right. which is such an interesting point. And, you know, that fear of protein that's kind of prevailed over the ketogenic community is it's something that we are really trying to address because I've had females like you have seen whose hair is falling out and they start blaming their thyroid or the ketogenic diet. And it's really that restriction of protein because our hair is made of protein. You know, I mean, this is every cell of your body needs it. And I know I'm, I'm talking to the preaching to the choir here, but a lot of people equate protein as a fuel source, but it's not, it's a building block. Right. It's, it's the building of all your antibodies, your tissues, your cells. Every single part of you is made of protein and it's, it's very necessary. So you can't equate the amount of protein you take in with how it's going to affect your blood sugar because it's doing so many different functions, performing so many different functions in the body. Right. And, and if you think about gluconeogenesis, so creating glucose from non-glucose substrates like protein, it's a very energetically costly process. So like there are studies not in ketogenic individuals, but if you take people and you overfeed them on protein, like one of our colleagues, Dr. Joey Antonio did this study where he literally had people, I think eat, it was over four um, grams per kilogram. Like some of these people were eating like 300 grams of protein to 320 grams of protein a day. Wow. And they were wow. eating above what would be their maintenance calories and they still didn't gain weight. Like it's a very thermogenically costly process. Like if, if I were to overfeed on anything, it would be protein. Um, so right. I'm not saying to go to 300 grams of protein, you don't need to do that by any means. But my thought is rather than people loading up on like, a thousand calories worth of fat bombs or trying to figure out how to, how I can titrate up carbohydrates above like a hundred grams, which it gets very tricky. Like if you're going to, if you want to substitute and and be able to get more calories in, like having like a little fat protein mix, isn't a bad idea. Exactly. And I'm for that. I've upped my protein some. And with our experiment that we did, I thought because of all of the gluconeogenesis talk, out there that I was like, well, my ketones are probably going to go down. I'm going to have to watch my blood sugar because I had blood sugar dysregulation issues in the past. And what I noticed was my blood sugar was stable, um, that my ketones went up surprisingly, and that I slept better. And like I said, I could lift more weight, felt stronger. My hair got thick, thicker, um, because I did go through that period of time on the ketogenic diet where I was like, ah, some hair's falling out and I don't like that. Mm-hmm. And now my hair grows so fast. Like it, I have to, I color it. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I color it. So I have to color it quite often because it'll start showing all the grays. I'm wondering when that thing will happen that happens to other people on carnivore where their gray hair turns back to its normal color. Well, I color my hair gray. <laughs> Just so nobody you know, suspects anything. <laughs> so no one suspects. That's awesome. Okay, so another thing we want to talk about is you and uh, Dr. Wilson wrote one of the best informative uh, 
books on keto that we've come across. And, and we use it as our go-to reference for any intellectual beatdowns on the internet. <laughs> so you, you mentioned that all the research in there, and I will say on top of what you just said, that it is the most awesome put together, just mountain of research and data. And if you want to go and dive headfirst into all of the science, you can, but you also have it to where the person who picks it up, who has no idea what a ketogenic diet is, can easily read it, understand what they need to do or where they should start. And then if they want to go further into the science, they can, all of it's right there for them. They don't have to go dig for it, which is absolutely incredible. Yes. What I appreciated about it was it was comprehensive. It started logically where it should, and then it guided you through all the questions you would have on keto and then all the extended questions, like when it gets into ailments and how it applies and cancer specifically, I've read the cancer uh, portion probably three times because I'm trying to understand it. And then if I talk about it, I want to, seem like I know what I'm talking about, but I'm really just, I know enough to be dangerous. It was just um, regurgitate what yeah, they yeah. say. You know, I just want to have my, like a, a Ron Lowry puppet on my hand and just hear it. Ron Lowry says this. Um, so, I mean, how did that um, come about and how, how did that process go putting together all this information, uh, you know, in the ketogenic Bible? Well, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate that. Um, you know, it was, it was definitely an experience writing that. And it was a pure passion project, quite honestly. We were approached by um, the publisher and they were like, hey, we're really looking, this keto thing starting to take off. Like you guys seem to kind of know what you're talking about. Would you be interested in writing something like this? And I was like, I said, well, if we're going to write something like this, like I want to be able to write something that when my kids look back on, like they were like, wow, that did, he did a pretty good job. Like he, 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 he covered a lot of ground here. Yeah. And, uh, and so that literally for us, it was, it was a journey as well. Cause it was fun, exciting. It was a lot of work, but it, it made us go back into the research. Like literally some of the papers that we cite in there from like the 1800s, mm-hmm. like, like the earliest research is like in 1902, you're seeing studies and, like really and one of my favorite parts of the entire book, like I still love it. I still read it every so often just to like stay up with it is the history part um, of it. And because I feel like it's a good lesson to be learned of how far we've come and how much yet we still have to go. Uh, and that, But we're making huge strides every day to get there of like, hey, we, we were onto something back in even like the 1800s and the early 1900s, like we were there and then we kind of got hung up for a little bit around the Ansel Keys time in the, in the 50s. And then now it's starting to come back. And my goal is how do we learn from what happened in the 90s, the 80s and 90s with the Atkins boom? But then unfortunately it started to fall off. Like how do we learn from that and not make keto something that's like that where cool, everyone's talking about it. Kim Kardashian's doing it. LeBron's doing it. Like all these people are doing it. It spikes up and then it falls off. Cause my goal is like, how do we keep that up and then continue building on it? Cause there's a true, it's something that's real here. And how do we continue building on that? Not only from a weight loss body composition perspective, but all of the different other applications like we talk about, like there's so many different areas that need to be studied that I'm just excited to hopefully try and keep building upon that. Well, you know, when you guys wrote this, you had to be right in the big middle of doing your, you know, getting your doctorate degree. So where in the world did you find time to do all of these things? 
Very, very little sleep. So one of the things I, I've, I've, uh, I've been able to really master, and I actually think a ketogenic diet helps tremendously with this, is I, I was never a sleeper. So I, I usually slept like six or seven hours a, a night. But with a ketogenic diet, like I honestly feel like I can sleep a lot less, but the quality of my sleep is a lot higher. And I, I think sleep is very important. I think you should get as much of it as you can. You repair your brain, you clear out some pathways while you're, while you're sleeping. But during that time, it was like my most productive time for, for writing during the ketogenic Bible was like 3.30 in the morning till nine. Like I was uninterrupted. It was before anyone else. Like I was, I had screens open with papers, just trying to like dial it in and it, it, it's a fun, it, it was a lot. And I look back and I'm like, I need a little, I need like a little bit of time before I ever embark on something like that again. But <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a wild ride. Well, it's definitely like having a baby when someone births something like this and then someone says, so when's the next one going to come out? And you're like, I need a little time. <laughs> exactly. So it definitely uh, you can tell that it's a passion project and that what you and Dr. Wilson and your whole team is what you are doing for the ketogenic community for not just the ketogenic community, but for mankind. <laughs> we all need this help with our diet. And I find it so strange. We have to be told what we need to eat. It's crazy, but you know, that's where we're at. You though have another passion and I see this all the time on Instagram, especially where you have this goal and you talk about positivity mm-hmm. and making positivity louder. And could you maybe tell us a little bit about what that means and where that came from? Yeah, definitely. So this is, uh, it's kind of a mindset I've had my entire life. I'm, I'm a very firm believer that life is dictated by your perspective and you can either have a negative perspective on life or you can have a positive perspective on life. And I've learned, and a lot of it probably was from my mom that despite facing filing bankruptcy multiple times and going through hard, hard times, like I would always look to her, even when I'd come home and I'd be upset that I didn't get a good grade and she'd figure out a way to make it positive. And she'd be like, you know, like we, we still got this, like, like all these different things. And it, it takes a lot to really take a step back and alter your perspective and go, there can be the worst of the worst, worst days that you think are, you know what, Some, I got a flat tire. Someone, someone cut me off on the road. We had to put out fires at work. And I go home and I, one of the best things that I do is like I journal. I have a gratitude journal that I do in the morning and at night. And I look at it and I'm like, but I still come home. I have a bed. Like I have a roof over my head. I can drink clean water. Like there's a whole population out in the world that don't have that. And we're surrounded by media from every single day. It's why I don't really watch the news very often because often it's like news sells with negativity and people, people are drawn to that. Like, oh, this person did this. They cheated on this person. They, this person got killed. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like if I was an outsider watching this, I think the world is going to blow up tomorrow. And so what if we literally reverse that paradigm? What if we literally looked at everything through a positive angle? Because your life becomes what you focus on. And I like to focus on positive things. Like how do you even take the worst of the worst scenarios, change your perspective and go, all right, I might've, 
I might be late for work today, but what if I, because I was late for work today or, or I was late for a meeting, maybe there was something that if I were to try to rush out the door, I might've gotten stuck in or gotten into an accident or something could have happened. Maybe it all happened for a reason. So I'm, I'm thankful that I was able to show up to this meeting, even though I was five minutes late, because maybe if I were to rush, I would have forgot something or I wouldn't have been here on time. So it's just a perspective that I try and instill in myself and hopefully get out to a lot more people that the world can be a, a very, very positive place if you focus on it and you literally change your perspective of everyday situations. Well, we, we completely agree with that. And we, we try to do a lot of the same things you talked about. Um, not listen to the news is a big one. Uh, because if you, we found that if you do that every day, like you said, the negativity is just, it can be overwhelming for people. And if you can shut that off, just shut it off and, and focus on, you know, focus on what makes you happy and let other people do, you know, what they do to make them happy and everything will be all right. A hundred percent. And, and, you know, I, we've, we've, dealt with I mean as you can imagine being in the spotlight and being with it one of the other things that comes along with that is you're going to have people who try and drive negativity into your life and for me in very early on in my career I was always a competitive athlete so I'd you try and like you're like whoa like I'm going to fight back with that person and instead like people have said stuff people have tried to destroy our careers literally done everything possible to try and run us out of academics or just or knock down what you've built and i look at them and, and rather than look at them with frustration or hate or, or anger i look at them with empathy now and i'm like i usually i'm like hey is everything like if someone's like you suck keto's the worst thing in the world like, like a perfect example is jillian michaels right she came out yeah. with articles and she's like bashing keto and i'm like people are like why don't you go after her? why don't you do this i'm like my goal is not to go after her. my goal is to try and educate and say like hey like are you okay one is like everything okay because you seem to be a very angry and upset about this something's clearly like <laughs> angered you about it but like how can i help and when you come from it from that perspective it takes someone's guard off because when someone comes at you angrily and they, they expect something to come back and then it becomes a, a dog fight and you're like, that's not what I want. I'm, I'm coming at it. I'm going to take your barrier down and I'm going to go like, how can I help? Like, how can I help you understand? And you may never take my, or understand my perspective, but how can I listen to yours? Because everyone has a different perspective. I like to hear and understand it. I might not agree with it, but at least I'm open to hearing it. And, and that is something that I've tried to work on. I'd say the last several years. Well, I'll tell you what, I'd like to give your mom a hug because <laughs> she raised a really wonderful human being and we need more of that in this world. And coming from one mom to another, thanks Ryan's mom. <laughs> okay, well, I know we've taken up quite a bit of your time already and clearly you are a very busy uh, person <laughs> and we like for you to do all the research that y'all y'all have been doing we'd like to give you the time to continue to do that right <laughs> and, and I'm sure after our listeners hear this they're going to want to uh, you know seek you out and find you on social media and hear what you have to say so how uh, how will they find you on social media what is your Instagram Twitter all that stuff yeah so I, I do a lot of I just do I mainly focus on Instagram it's at Ryan P Lowry uh, Jacob likes to say Ryan Plowery because my middle name is Pat. <laughs> um, <My> friends. <laughs> so it's Ryan P. Lowry. 
Um, and then on Facebook, just Ryan Lowry. I'm going to start doing some more on Facebook. Uh, I really think I, I want to do some more lives and just offer some, some more content and value uh, to people. Because like you said, like, I feel like there's so much and I'm super grateful for what you guys are doing because there's so much noise uh, in the community. And one of the things, like I said, I want to make sure this is something that lasts a very long time. So I don't want it to be like, we, we already as a ketogenic community face enough challenges versus the external, like people that are trying to be like, you guys are crazy. Like eating high fat, low carbs still kills you and all this stuff. We, yeah. don't, need, we don't need to be fighting internally. So that's oh, where no. it goes. It's like in a ketogenic world, like how do we foster collaboration and, and build a, a good community around it? And that's something that I hope to continue doing through education and adding value to people's lives. Absolutely. And I know that uh, periodically, uh, we have seen you on some Facebook lives, but Dr. Jacob Wilson, I know he does the muscle PhD and has, if, so if people have uh, any kind of questions about fitness, uh, working out, muscle building, you guys do a fantastic job of getting free information out to people where they can get questions answered and get some really great content. And um, so they can also follow him yep. there, correct? Absolutely. So at the is it at the muscle PhD yeah, or at the muscle PhD? Okay, awesome. So you make an appearance on there periodically, correct? Yeah. Well, uh, we absolutely appreciate your time. It, great conversation. Uh, your your knowledge and your experience and all this is just invaluable, and we really we really appreciate you sitting down and talking with us. Well, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate that, and hopefully, see you guys soon. Yeah, if you're at Low Carb in San Diego, we will definitely be there. And we'll say hi for sure. Awesome. Okay. Thanks. All right. Well, All everybody, right. go eat fat and prosper. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Tasco Kitchen. Hit subscribe and leave us a review. Don't forget to send your questions to dtkquestions at gmail.com. And visit our website, thetacticalkitchen.com.